Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Equipped to Be Show with Connie Albers. Equipped to Be is a podcast dedicated to helping you discover and develop your unique strengths, gifts, and talents so you can apply them to all areas of life. So let's get ready to dive into how you are equipped to be. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Equipped to Be show. I am so glad you're back. Hey, I know that you loved last week because (laughs) I got flooded with direct messages and emails and all sorts everywhere it was posted um, to the point where I think I hit a nerve with everybody as Heidi was in the studio last week and we talked about starving the fear. I think this segment, you're going to be in for a treat because I have Joel Mom, and oh my goodness, I have to tell you, he's got a brand new book coming out, which is why I have the privilege of interviewing him. Uh, and I'm so super, super excited about it. But let me tell you a little bit about him. You know, we happened to be at a podcasting conference and we were videoing something together and we just struck up a conversation and I was fascinated by some of the the work that he was doing and the heart that he had for people, uh, for the church. And I just loved it. He is the founder of Summit Leaders. He uses, and this is what I love, y'all. He uses outdoor adventures and coaching to help other people find their calling and pursue a vision for their life. You know, I think that's pretty fascinating. He was sharing with me some of the stories that he had. And if you get his book, he writes about some of them in the book. Um, And I just have to tell you that uh, you're going to enjoy our conversation today. He takes expeditions um, around the world to like Mount Kilimanjaro, the Grand Canyon. His travels, he's traveled to over 70 countries um, and on six different continents. Here's the other thing. He speaks three languages. And I, you know, if you're like me, you speak one and you're hoping you're mastering that. He's got a BA in political science and a master's in counseling. So, you know, he just has such a heart for his people. And I really believe you're going to enjoy our interview today. So Joel, I'm going to welcome you to the program. Thanks for coming and tell us a little bit about you and uh, welcome to Equip to Be. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, that was a, a providential meeting, I believe, at that podcast conference. We Not only did we learn a lot, but I got to meet some amazing people. And uh, I particularly meeting you really stood out to me. We, I loved doing that video we did together. It was great. That was fun, wasn't it? Who knew? I mean, folks, just so for point of reference, this was two weeks before the world changed. So here we all went (laughs) to this conference and, you know, we had these hopes and dreams and life was frantically, frantically busy. And we didn't realize what was going to happen uh, with the COVID-19. So, (laughs) Joel, I want you to tell them the name of your book and why you wrote the why you wrote it. Yeah, so the book is actually called Love Slows Down, How to Keep Anger and Anxiety from Ruining Life's Relationships. And I I started writing it about two years ago with who would have known we were going to be forced to slow down and who would have (laughs) known it was going to reveal a lot of anxiety and a lot of anger all at the same place. Of course, I talk in the book about how anger and anxiety are always connected. Mm. I mean, if you look at the biblical sequence, fear and anxiety shows up um, as soon as Adam and Eve, uh, they make the decision to, you know, use their free will and 
sin comes in. And as soon as that sin comes in, they're separated from this perfect source of these three things that we all really need. And literally you see in the next chapter, anger shows up. There's, you know, there's and by the fourth chapter of the Bible, anger is there and they're always connected. Fear and anger are always connected. Okay. You and I talked before the show went, uh, before we hit record and I told you, uh, we might, there might be something that said that'll take us in a different direction. And you just said it right there. Last week, I talked about starving the fear. And here today, uh, we're talking about what? That's the second, the second emotion, what fear happens, and then anger kicks in. So let's unpack that. Yeah, so fear, it's a really clear sequence. It's amazing how much of the truth of the human condition we can find in the first few chapters of Genesis. It's the power of the, the Word of God. Um, what you see is that we were created for three specific things. And in the book, I, I, I worked directly with a psychiatrist in the Bahamas, a brilliant man, um, Dr. David Allen, and he's come up with this, this theory kind of of human nature that I, I just believe nailed everything. And he says that um, we all have three basic drives within us, and we're created for those things. There's nothing wrong with us for having these needs, but we all need security. We want to know we're going to be safe. We want to, you know, financial security, emotional, relational security, physical security. We all want to have connection, which that's the feeling of value, like you're seen, you're heard, you're esteemed by others. And then there's this third piece. We all need a sense of what I call control, but it's really a sense of empowerment, um, the feeling that I have some choice and some decisions in my life. And if you think about it, God created us and gave us all of those. And he made, he made us to need those things. But he said, hey, guys, I want to be the source of all that for you. I want to be the source of your security, your connection and your empowerment or control. And we had all that in the garden, but of course we used our empowerment to break off the connection. And you see, you know, fear isn't a sin. Fear is a result of sin. And so what happened is, is the first emotion they felt as soon as they, they realized it, they were naked. The connection was separated from God. And ever since then, humanity has been looking for security, connection, and control anywhere we can other than God. Of course, through Jesus, the relationship is reestablished. So we have access to get back to that place of his love. And that's where it talks about perfect love in first John. It says perfect love drives out fear. The fear that you have of not getting the security, the connection or the empowerment or control is not going to be met by any, you know, wonderful marriage relationship or your relationship with your kids or how much money you have or how much you know, or what you've achieved. You're always going to feel fear unless that you're directly connected to the source of all of those things that you, you instinctively need the security connection control. God's love is the only thing that will drive out that fear. So it always comes back to that. So when we feel, whenever we feel angry and the response is when you, when you get afraid, when you feel that threat to your security connection or control, you want to respond in some way that promises to get those things back for you. And it tends to be anger. Um, it, from the studies that uh, Dr. Allen shared with me, that it, they found that the connection corner, they don't prefer to call it anger uh, because they've seen anger do damage to relationships. So they actually like to call it frustration. So okay. I talked to my wife that way. She's like, I don't get angry. I get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. It, it always leads to us wanting to take back. Like when we feel a threat to those things, we immediately respond with this secondary emotion. Anger is always a secondary emotion that comes right after feeling a threat or fear or having been hurt in those areas. When you wrote this book, life was just crazy and hectic. We were going 100 miles an hour, and we were just uh, frazzled, worn out, weary. And then 
life came to a screeching halt. Fear and confusion entered. Your book, Love Slows Down, so God kind of put that in front of us already. We are a very afraid uh, country right now. It's what happened. There was fear and confusion. And I believe what we're seeing now is anger as a result of all of this, because like we said, Heidi and I were saying last week uh, when we recorded uh, the episode, it's very easy to get people to be afraid. It's very hard to get them unafraid. So, you know, if fear is taken over, we see anger is rising up. Anger because the three things you said I loved, uh, security, connection, and control. Well, guess what? We lost all of that. You know, we don't have security. There's not security in our government. There's not security in our jobs. Uh, There's not security in uh, pretty much anything. Uh, We've been isolated from our church at the time of this recording. Many churches are closed. Uh, the connection, we have been told to, you know, all the sayings, stay home, stay safe. I mean, we could just go on and on about all of those. So we've, we, we've lost that connection. We've lost that sense of security and so much for control because, I mean, right now we're still facing all the different elements of, of lack of control. So, it, you know, I'm really just kind of thought, tossing this out here. People are getting angry in today's context, knowing that you focus so much on helping us walk through anxiety and fear and bringing it back to a biblical perspective and relying on God, how, what do you what do you say to uh, to people to to my listeners? What, what would you say to them? You know, their life has changed; it's flipped upside down. Help help them walk through the anxiety or the anger that they're feeling right now. Well, I think the both anxiety and anger are a sign. Whenever we get anxious or angry at something happening to us, it's always because of something happening inside of us. And you instinctively feel that threat. So what, what you've got to do is, you know, you don't, I talk in the book about some really practical things you can do when you get angry, right? Like you've got to recognize your anger patterns. What's the thing that tends to make you angry? For me, it's control. Anytime I'm feeling controlled, uh, I start to get angry. So traffic. <laughs> I remember traffic. you talking oh about hitting the vent on your um, oven or stove, not, the yes. exhaust vent yes. of that, and you just wanted to kind of like punch it. Yeah, you, um, just, <laughs> you just react, right? And yeah. so what happens is anger can anger isn't a sin. It's just a sign. And what you do with the anger decides whether it's going to be used for good or whether it's going to harm you, right, or harm others. And you don't want to harm. What you want to do is you want to flip it around. And you use anger for good when you start to say, okay, God, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm really getting ticked off, irritated, whatever the word is you like to use. Yeah. Clearly, there's something that I'm looking for in my security, connection, or control that I'm, that I'm looking for someone other than you to get it from because it's disappointing me. You're, you're always going to be disappointed if you're looking for your security, connection, or control from anything other than God. And I know that sounds really ethereal, but the way it plays out is, we are in this perpetual act of um, surrendering every area of our lives to God, giving it back to the person who can actually provide it for us. So your kids get frustrated. You get frustrated at your kid. You've had them home for, what is it, like three years now? I know, right? <laughs> it feels like <laughs> you get frustrated at your five-year-old. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving an example of something that happened last night. Your five-year-old it just will not eat. And you're like, what is Ah, just eat your food. Well, I want dessert. Well, eat your food. And you just find, you feel it rising in you. And you're like, okay, 
What's being threatened here? Well, for me, it's control. Now, what's interesting is for my wife, it, 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 she doesn't tend to get that angry, but when she does get frustrated, it's some sort of a, it's a, it's connection related. So it's like, I spent all this time making this food for you. You're not appreciating it. It looks different. The same situation can create anger in different people for different reasons. Um, so for me, it's a control thing. And I'm like, I just want this five-year-old to eat these, this crazy food. Um, and you, you feel it rising up. And here's the thing. There's already been this accumulative, cumulative effect that's been going on in our lives. Just like one thing after another is being, we're grieving things. Things have been taken from us. We've lost things. We've been uh, threatened in many areas and it's just building and building. And the best thing you can do is you got to stop. You got to take a deep breath. You got to slow down, step away from the situation and say, okay, God, clearly I'm looking for something other than you uh, to give me what I'm looking for here. And it's frustrating me. And you, you can't really deal with the situation correctly until you release the anger. Because when you get angry or afraid, there's actually a chemical process that goes on in your brain. Your brain activity shifts from the prefrontal cortex. That's your rational part. God made that part of your brain to be your rational thinking part. And it, it shifts out of that area into this more kind of fight or flight. this like primal response that we have. And you can't think clearly. Um, King Solomon says an angry man is like a city with its walls torn down. Like there's no, there's no, uh, nothing holding things in or protecting it. It's just like, you're, you're crazy out there. And so we, that's why we do all sorts of crazy things when we're angry. Mm-hmm. So you got to step away. You got to control it. And you got to ask God, what is it? And then once you recognize the primary emotion that you felt threatened in the book, I give a great list of like what words you can say. Cause sometimes it's hard to, to put into words what it is that was actually threatened. I felt belittled. I felt less than, I felt like it wasn't enough. I felt being like I was being controlled or I felt like I was being manipulated. Mm-hmm. When you articulate those things beforehand, you can, you've got a better chance of resolving it. But if you just respond, if you just lash out with your, at your kids or whoever it is, your spouse, your, your coworkers, um, it's, it's never going to go well because, um, anger that hasn't been consulted. That's what I call consulting. Your anger is asking God, what is this showing I need to, to, to give to you? Unconsulted anger is, is very dangerous. Um, and we've seen a lot of unconsulted anger running around. We have, we see a lot of hurt people in our society, very hurt, people who have not dealt with their hurt and they're lashing out in anger saying this has to be fixed, but they haven't consulted what's actually going on inside of them. They're externalizing it. They're saying, this is a problem y'all need to fix, but really it's got to start inside of us. Mm, That's a good point. I love how you said in your book, anger isn't sin. Anger is a sign. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit when you were talking about it happening to us look at what's happening inside of us and how, you know, just if you haven't, if you didn't take notes on that, I really would encourage you to listeners to, to take note of that. Um, You cannot control when we think about control, you can't control the external, you can't control as much as, as much as we'd like to believe we can control our five-year-old. I mean, they can bring us to our knees over simply not eating dinner, right? So Joel, I probably, <laughs> you probably had to step away <laughs> from the dinner table because it could, it could turn into an all-out battle. Um, and a five-year-old, depending on their temperament, um, they're, they're willing to die on the, no, I'm not eating all of my food. And it can be quite, um, it can be quite unnerving, and it could cause us to lose our cool and our testimony if we're not careful. But, you know, you wrote something uh, in your book by Joseph Campbell. You said, and, and it kind of it struck me when you talked about disappointment. We have to acknowledge disappointment happens. Marriages, you know, we enter our marriage, and we're all full of love. And I've been married for 36 years, and my marriage is nothing like what I think thought it was going to be like. Uh, My children, I have five children, and 
parenting them was nothing like what I thought. And then the teen years came and went, and now they're all adults. We're surrounded uh, and faced with disappointments constantly. And I love what you said, give up the life you plan, or what you wrote from Joseph Campbell, give up the life you plan in order to have the life that is waiting for you. Talk about that. Why did that impact you? Yeah, that, that, that section of the book is actually one of my favorites in the whole book because um, I, I compare, you know, we've all got an idea in our mind, whether we say it or not, mm-hmm. about what things should look like. And we all get to a place where we look around and go, it wasn't supposed to look like this. <laughs> and we may never even articulate that, but there's this low-grade anger that just kind of hangs out below the surface. And you're like, it wasn't supposed to look like this. And I use an example in the book of a lady who she just knew that after she uh, got married to this guy who didn't share her faith, he would convert to, to her faith. And, and 30 years later, he hasn't. And when I talked about this, she acknowledged, she said, you know, for the first time I realized I've been disappointed with God because I thought he was going to come through and lead my husband to, to him through our marriage, but it hasn't happened. And she's like, and I realize now that maybe I haven't actually even been loving him. And when we get disappointed, it, I compare it in the book to remember the kid, you, I don't know, I used to, I used to take toilet paper rolls and pretend they were binoculars, um, <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't really help anything. What they actually did is made me trip over everything because it actually limits your point of view. And what happens a lot of times in life, we've got these toilet paper rolls of what the life we want should look like. And we're trying to cram the world into those toilet paper rolls. And when the world doesn't look or fit within those toilet paper rolls, and it never does, we just get angry. It was supposed to fit in my little narrow view of the world. Of course, we don't call it a narrow view. We call it a dream world. And it's so easy that that leads to, I've talked, uh, I kind of in the book breakdown, there's the responsive anger. And then there's this ongoing anger we feel. And that's part of that ongoing anger, where it's just like, you just feel this kind of sense of despair and, and you have to let, you have to take the toilet paper rolls off your eyes and you have to say, okay, life is not going to cram into this clearly. And, and you just remove it and you start to see the whole picture of what it is. And that's what I think God wants for us. He's working on something big in our lives. There's something way bigger than you can see going on. And if you're just focused on what you think it should look like in that narrow paper, you know, the toilet paper rolls, man, you will miss out on so much of what God wants for you. And not only that, you'll just be angry and frustrated all the time. So you have to just let go of that and you have to say, okay, life is what it is. And I'm strong enough to take what it is if I'll face reality because I'll get the strength I need. God to face what's in front of me. You know, his, his grace is sufficient for us in whatever we're in, in the, if we'll face the reality of it. Mm, that's good. I remember uh, my son used to always say, when I read that in your book, I, I actually highlighted that because my youngest son uh, is very happy-go-lucky. Um, you know, he is an adventure taker. And I remember trying to get him to 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 address something with me. And I was, you know, I'm trying to help him, right? We always try to fix our kids. Uh, so I'm trying to help him, <laughs> aka fix something. And I said to him, you know, XYZ, and he goes, Mom, it is what it is. So now it's like every time I see that phrase, it immediately reminds me <laughs> of how God can speak to us through other people. And it can help oh, us. Yeah like you said, remove whatever we're trying to see, like through a narrow view 
to see what really is before us. And you talk about gratefulness and gratitude in your book. Well, let me ask you another question. You tell a story of people taking too much on a hike with them and then wearing them out. You compare that to a specific thing. Uh, tell us what that is and then why, uh, why is the story so important? So I, I lead these hikes all the time, and most of the people that hike with me, it's their first time to do anything like this. I want those kind of people. I want people as their first time, and but they always bring too much stuff. And so we have this gear way in, and I, I know how much they need, what they need. I've done these trails multiple times. Do you have wait, wait, wait? Do you um, have a female checklist and a male checklist? Because they've got to be different. <laughs> so I I I learned about three years in that I needed separate lists. Yes. <laughs> I got a lot of anger from a couple of women one time because I, I was would. threatening their <laughs> yeah I was threatening their security connection or control. I'm like, so um, yeah, so we have these lists and uh, you know, they, you know I, I'll never forget a girl got got mad at me one time because I wouldn't let her take her hair dryer in her in her backpack and I'm like, there's no electricity where we're going. <laughs> but anyway, okay, and what happens? It's just yeah, so it's an example of what happens in life. You know, we all we've all got these things we, we feel like we need. It's like, like on a trail, you're hiking along. You're like, you know, I've heard there's bears around here. So I'm going to, Oh, there's a nice rock. That would be a perfect rock to throw at a bear. And you put it in your backpack and the pack gets a little heavier. And then you're like, wait, what if it's a bear and another bear? What if I need two rocks? You put another one back there before you know it, you're carrying this heavy weight. You're waking up every morning going, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And the rocks aren't bad things. But they're weighing you down. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do is we have to choose what to lose um, because you're, you're limited. You can, you've only got so much time. You've only got so much energy. You've only got so much money. And we have to make these decisions in every area of our lives, in our time, money, and energy. And, of course, time is actually your greatest resources. They're not making more of that. Um, and we end up doing all these good things, and then we end up some, and sometimes end up sacrificing the best things for the good things. And, and, and we realize, and whenever there's anger, it's usually because a, a priority has gotten out of line of what God wants our priorities to be. In fact, I, I tell people all the time, if, if people are becoming a burden, then something's out of order. If your kids are becoming a burden, if, uh, because the order is always, you know, Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I know you need security. I know you need connection. I know you need control, but I'm telling you, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, all these other things, the security connection control you want they'll be given to you as well. It's this weird counterintuitive thing. Jesus says, don't seek those things, seek me, and then you'll get it all. And what he's saying is seek my order, the way I order things. And the way I order things is love God, love people, and everything else is flexible. Mm -hmm. But you've got to have them in those order. And I was talking to a lady the other day, and she was talking about how angry she was about how messy her house always is, because she's got kids. <laughs> and she said, I realized I consulted my anger after you talked about consulting your anger, and I realized... I was putting cleanliness over my kids. And she said, I literally wouldn't go out and hang out with my friends on Friday night because uh, our family would, they'd be invited to go somewhere. But I'm like, no, we've got to clean the house. She said, I was so obsessed with keeping it clean, which was a control thing, I think. Maybe a security thing. I don't know. Um, but she said, and I was, I was making my family miserable over it. And, and she said, I, I realized that I had put a value out of line. It's nothing wrong with cleanliness. In fact, I love cleanliness. I'm, I'm pretty convinced cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> but when it starts to create anger at those around you because you're so obsessed with that, it's quite possible a value is out of order of what God actually wants for you. And so what we have to do is you have to re rearrange things and maybe some things need to come out of your pack mm. for a while, for a while. You know, when you got, when you got a three, a five and a seven year old in your house, the cleanliness thing, 
do your best, but it's probably going to go out the door for a few years. It's just the way it is. Or 10 years, maybe a little longer. Or 20. Depending yeah. on how many you have. <laughs> as I'm sitting here, I'm nodding my head as you're telling that story because I was that mom that I wanted my house always ready for when, you know, that somebody would pop in and visit. Or if we had guests over, another family or something, I always wanted my house. And it wasn't until my children got, oh gosh, they were a little older and they started telling me some of the stories. And I, I actually realized, wow, what was I doing to them? I was robbing them of the joy of hospitality because I was putting such an emphasis on making sure the house was, quote, perfect. Uh, it never was perfect, mm. but it was to, like, my standard. And I ha I actually immediately had to change that. So I was shaking my head yes to that situation. You know, in your book, you talk about the importance of letting go of past hurts. You know, I love how you said, you know, putting the rocks in your backpack. And sometimes you, you said you have to choose uh, what to lose. So I, I don't know if this is where you're going, but you know, we've got to let go of past hurt. The longer you live, the more hurts you're going to have and the more baggage per se you could be carrying around. So you talk about like misunderstandings we may have about forgiveness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there, there's a, you know, forgiveness is, is, is the, it's the foundation of everything we as Christians believe. It's with one man shouldering what was done against him and not holding it against us. And it's an example for us. He says, now I need you to go in the parable of the forgiving story. He says, now I need you to go and do likewise. You've got to forgive. And, but the challenge we face sometimes is, first of all, sometimes we think that forgiveness is this feeling we're going to feel like, I feel like it's time to forgive, but it's not a, it's not a, not a feeling. And in fact, if you're sitting around waiting for the feeling, <laughs> it's probably never going to happen um, because you got done wrong. And it's just not going to, the sense of justice within you is going to say, no, they don't deserve forgiveness. But the challenge with forgiveness is that the only person that's hurting it, it when you choose to not forgive is you. And there's tons of, I talk in the book about a lot of the research they've done, scientific medical research about the power of unforgiveness. And it's not, you know, they don't refer to the Bible, but everything, you know, God already knew this, right? That's why he said, you've got to let it go. Um, it, you you've got to let it go and you're not waiting for a feeling. It's a decision. I mean, Jesus said that before we even knew we needed forgiveness. He said, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So that's one of the things you're waiting for this feeling. I'll just know when it's the right time. And another myth is, well, they've got to admit what they did. And the problem with that is it, forgiveness is always something that's in your control right now to do. But when you're waiting for somebody else to forgive, first of all, if somebody did like a violent crime to you or somebody, it's like a, a perpetrator of bad, like evil or, um, it's not safe to go back to them. Maybe they weren't caught. If you're waiting around for the people to be caught so they can ask forgiveness, you're going to just be in torment forever. And so you, you make the decision to forgive, whether you get to confront the person who hurts you ever, or even they admit that they did anything wrong. And then the final thing is, is this myth is this, well, you just got to forgive and forgive. And that's impossible. Your mind is too strong to forgive them, to forget. You're going to remember it for a long time because uh, what happens is forgiveness involves grieving and, um, Grieving is more of a spiral than, than a line. We, we, we've heard of the stages of grief, so we think it's linear. You know, this, 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 click. Oh, I'm over it. But it's not like that. If you've ever lost someone, you know, it'll come back a wave of sadness, what was taken from you, you know, a week, a month, a year, two years, five years. Sometimes at the same time of the year, you'll feel that, oh, it just, it comes over you. And you don't forgive and forget. You forgive and you choose to remember with forgiveness. 
So you made the decision to forgive and then you remind yourself of it. When that person, that thought comes back around a year later of what they did, you oh, and you wake up going, oh, I can't believe they got away with that. You say, oh, nope, I chose to forgive them. And the cool thing about it is the spiral gets a little bit wider and a little bit wider. And eventually it'll come to the point when that thought comes up, all you feel is peace because the peace has taken over as you've chosen to let go of what was done to you and forgive. You know, it's interesting. I love what you said. I I love to use this analogy, and I think you referred to it uh, in your book. You probably went deeper into it, but when we make an act, it's, it's an act of will to choose to forgive. It's it's a that is something because you know I love your your three templates of security, connection, and control. When we we are taking control of how we are choosing to live, respond, and behave to the world around us, and you mentioned about you've got to release it and let it go. So once you've identified where that hurt is, how it's impacting you, what it's done to you, like it, like you said, if somebody has lost their life, or it could be it could be even simple things like your your spouse or your kids saying or doing something that did wound and hurt you, and uh, you've been carrying that around. I love how in the book you did mention how you have to release it. You've got to let it go. You can't. You can't hold on to it. It's not just you, you keep saying, oh, I forgive you. I forgive you. You don't, you forgive them once and then you remind yourself that you yeah. have forgiven them. You, you release them from that act that they have done to you. And that is a control that is empowerment for you as well. I, you know, when I think about love slows down and I noticed how um, Bob Goff, obviously, Love does how he endorsed your book, and I I met Bob at a conference once, and of course I've I've read his work, I I love where he comes from, and so I was pleasantly surprised when I got to see that he was uh, one of the authors that had endorsed or folks that had endorsed your book. When we think about love slows down, currently, you know this there people are living slower intentional lives. Give us a couple of points right now as we kind of wrap up this show. Um, to be intentional about what we add back to our time. So that's part one. And the other is, what should we do in this time to maybe unpack some of the the rocks we've put in our backpack that need to be taken out or maybe some of the issues that we have become angry or we're grieving or we've, we don't feel secure about? What can we do uh, that my listeners can kind of like write down today and start executing right away? Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's a great question. And one of the things I talk about in, in one of the chapters is about reframing your situation. And right now you could look at it and say, oh, then we're being, you know, this oppressive situation and there's all this fear and stuff. But man, what if you reframed it and thought, wow, the Lord has handed us all a gift on a silver platter um, where we, we've just got to, We've been forced to slow down and, and look at ourselves. And unfortunately, that's what's happened. We've been forced to slow down and look at ourselves, which is why we're seeing so much divorce right now. So many people I love, they're calling it quits right now, but it's because the scaffolding has been removed mm. and we've seen the stuff that was supporting it. You know, the speed that was keeping us so busy, we didn't have to deal with the things. All of a sudden you're forced to slow down and all the stuff's rising to the surface. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to ruin you. Um, and that's what the whole back end of the book, the last three sections of the book are about the three things you can do to, to really lock in 
and make them a value in your backpack. The three key things are this. First of all, we talked about the letting it go. Mm -hmm. The second thing is embrace solitude. Now, solitude is a word that a lot of different definitions, the definition I use in the book is mental stillness. You've got to find a place of mental stillness. The Bible says you keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. Mm. We've got to find that place. You may not be able to actually get truth like you know, solitude. It's good to get some time away from people, but if you've got a bunch of kids running around the house, it's just not realistic right now. And you're trying to homeschool them. You're trying to take care of them. It's not realistic, but you can find mental solitude in the middle of any situation. So I talk in the book about learning how to breathe correctly, which we'll, I won't go into that, but there's really good stuff in there about how to breathe correctly. And when you actually breathe correctly, it's the weirdest thing God set up our bodies to where if you breathe correctly, you literally physically cannot get stressed. Mm. But most of us don't breathe correctly. So there's this element of learning mental stillness, which is learning to meditate on scripture. Uh, Psalm 1, David talks about the, the, what the strength that comes when we meditate on God's word day and night, like this tree that's planted by this river and it just, it will not move. And then the other it, it, one is this, this idea of, um, what we call con- contemplation and contemplation is just, is trying to, to give your thoughts, your worried thoughts over to God and get his thoughts in, in, in exchange. And I talk again in the process of that. So there's the element of embracing solitude, trying, trying to find that mental stillness, which he wants to give you. Um, and then the third element is community. And this is one of the things that's under huge threat right now. Um, community is so important. It talks about in the Bible, it says don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Mm. And um, we've got to be finding connection with others. We've got to be willing to be open and vulnerable. And, and the most important thing you can do in community is getting together and celebrating God's faithfulness, His goodness, and being grateful for where He has brought us. And you say, man, but there's so many things wrong with the world. Yes, you can always focus on things that are wrong in the world. But the foundation for mental health, it really, I mean, if you look at the research, the foundation for mental health is gratitude. Until you can be grateful for what you've got right in front of you, no matter how small it is, you will never dig yourself out of a pit of worry, anxiety, fear. You've got to aim, and you may have to aim really low. You may have to aim super low. Like, well, I'm just grateful that right now I don't have a headache. Hey, that's a great stuff, right? <laughs> Well, I've got a headache. Well, I'm grateful we live in a time where I can take Advil or Tylenol or whatever it is, right? Aim lower until you can find that thing to be grateful for and start building your gratitude off of those little things because there's so much to be grateful for right now. And when you start focusing on that instead of all the things that aren't right, you will find yourself just being pulled out. I mean, the, the, the... Right now, there's so much threat to psychologically threat to us um, because of this fear we're living under and, and this constant... Um, there's so many things to be, we could be afraid of, but the way you drive that out is being grateful for where God is, where he's brought us to. And remember this, he didn't bring us this far to ditch us, y'all. Mm. He brought us to a place. He's gonna, it says he brought me to a wide place. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter and brighter. It's a promise. No matter how dark it looks around us, it's going to get brighter. Mm. I love that. And I love what you said in your book. God never changes. He changes how he works. He changes, you know, his, his principles, his truth, his word remains the same. How you go about fleshing that out and how he uses you and how he works all things together for good in your life is, is going to be unique to you because that's the power and the beauty of, of a living, active God. And I love that you put that in there because we tend to sometimes read scripture and we think, oh, but that was back then, or that was, that doesn't apply to me. It absolutely applies to, to me. And this is how. And so I, I love that you 
brought us to that point. Um, I think your book is timely. It is just what we need. Love slows down. Folks, uh, tell, tell us when it, uh, where they can get this, Love Slows Down. Yeah, it, it, you know, anywhere books are sold, you can get it. Um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Christian Book. Um, it's available in all the digital formats and paperback. And um, there's actually, if you want to use it, in, uh, we created a small group leader's guide. It's actually a great small group book. Uh, it's got the six sections. So you can do it over six weeks. So if you go to loveslowsdown.com, you can actually take uh, the content. It's a free leader's guide. You can take it and use it in your small group and um, walk through those, these concepts with, with your friends and those around you. And then there's also, if you're wondering, like, wonder which of those three is mine. There's actually an anger test that'll be on Love Flows Down that uh, you can take that anger test and um, it'll, it'll kind of, it's not super scientific, but it'll generally point you in the direction of what, which one tends to threaten you if you're not so sure what it is. And then you can identify um, what it is that tends to get, get you fired up and maybe create, uh, go into those situations a little more prepared so you don't get so riled up when those things happen because it's, it's inevitable. Those things are going to happen. But we've got to we've got to have a game plan for how to how to face life as it is and deal with the anger and deal with the anxiety and use it to direct us back to Jesus and what He offers. And I think that's exactly uh, what you have accomplished. So, folks, I want you to use your Amazon because we know we're all shopping Amazon or online these days. Make sure you order. Love slows down. You will not be disappointed. I really enjoyed it. I had my pen, my highlighter. I was marking things, and as you could hear, I pulled several quotes that just, you know, they just stuck to me. I don't even know what might uh, stick with you, but uh, all right. So, Joelle, you are, I guess, you're on Facebook, and where are, where can people find you? Yeah, I've got you know, I've got the, a weekly blog. I send out uh, joellemalm.com, J-O-E-L-M-A-L-M.com. I'm on Facebook. You can add me there, or um, got a YouTube channel as well. Lots, lots of one and two minute videos of just. I talk about these things, how to deal with anger, how to deal with anxiety. I love it. I love it. Thanks for coming on the program. I am just delighted that you in your busy, busy schedule with a book launch, boy, I know how that can be, um, that you were able to pop here on Equipped to Be and share with everyone about your book. And folks, again, make sure you get that. Uh, Joelle, thanks for joining me today on Equipped to Be. And uh, I, I know that my listeners are really going to benefit from this, especially now. You're so, your book is so practical and relevant and exactly meets us where we are and where our culture is right now. And it'll help them grow deeper in their relationship with the Lord. It'll help them strengthen relationships within their families because, you know, we're all doing life together in a very, very intimate way that we hadn't done for ever, maybe <laughs> a long time. It's certainly our own <laughs> lifetime. Um, and, and I thank you for sharing that and coming on here, taking your time to be with us. Uh, we're really grateful that you did. Thank you. Well, folks, that wraps up Equipped to Be. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, listen, I know it's it's a struggle. It's, it's just a struggle. It's going to continue to be that, but it is so much of what Joelle said. Uh, start your day with gratitude. Find something, anything to be grateful for. And if you're really struggling, just that you could get your feet out of bed and on the floor and stand up. That is something to be grateful for because there are people who can't do that. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. We would love for you to tell others about Equipped to Be so that they can be blessed by the work that we do here at Equipped to Be. So thanks for joining us and we'll talk again. Well, that wraps up this episode of Equipped to Be. If you enjoyed this show, 
please share it with a friend or family member and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.